Hi, and welcome to the Unsung Heroes podcast, a podcast where we focus on the awesome people working with your favorite music artist. I'm your host, Daniel, and today I'm here with the awesome Joe Marlott. Joe is a Grammy-nominated engineer and mixer who have worked with artists such as Foo Fighters, Blink-182, Queens of the Stone Age, and many more. Joe talks about the importance of vocals, a nightmare drum recording session, career-defining moments, and much more. Let's dive into it. Welcome, Joe. It's uh, Thank so you. nice to have you on the podcast. I love it. Um, just for everyone who doesn't know, you are a producer, engineer, mixer, and songwriter, uh, and you have worked with a lot of favorite, uh, famous artists, uh, and I have name-dropped for you in the intro, uh, so don't worry. Um, awesome. But what kind of work do you mainly do? You have a lot of different roles here, but what, what kind of what work do you mainly do? Um, mainly on the producing and mixing side now. That's that's cool. my my main focus. Yeah. And how did you get started with it all? Um, shoot, I guess it'd be about mid nineties. I started. <laughs> um, I went to school. I'm 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 old. Mid nineties. I'm going way back now. <laughs> um, I took a class uh, for recording. Fell in love with it, and then just got my way into a local recording studio. Yeah. And um, started with the engineering side, then moved into the mixing, and then everything I learned from doing that, I got into the producing, and then eventually more into the songwriting. So it's just kind of been a, an evolution of you know things kind of falling into one into yeah. the other. Cool. And and songwriting is that your most recent like added to the resume? Um, exactly. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. And just for fun, what kind of what kind of instruments do you play? Uh, I can see a little um, bit of guitars in the background there. <laughs> yeah, so um, guitars, piano. I mean, I'm not like a master of any of them, but I've picked up, you know, enough through the years to, you know, I, I pick up the guitar for chord progressions. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes I'll go to the piano for for melodies. And um, so, you know, combining the two together, I've I've got a pretty good handle on, you know, being able to sit down and write a song. Mm. Um, but then when I go in to record it, I always, you know, I hire session players. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I basically give them a roadmap, and then they take that and make it awesome. So. Yeah, exactly. They can also always like sprinkle something on top and make it super, exactly. super they, delicious. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's great. So cool. So why do you think like the specialized the specialized roles of like producers, engineers, and and songwriters are like an important part of the modern music industry? Like, why do you think they exist um, today? <laughs> Well, that's the thing. In a lot of ways, it's it's turning into one, right? So, you know, back back when I started, everybody had their own role. Like an engineer had their role, the producer had their role, yeah. um, the mixer had their role, the songwriter had their role. And and these days, because you know, recording has become so accessible to everybody, that most often a lot of people are are handling all those roles in one. Um, which is beneficial in a lot of ways and yeah. it, it's also non-beneficial in others. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's, yeah. it's kind what of What do you think now. like are, are some of the, yeah. So, so what do you think are some of the, the non-beneficial parts of it, like of the rose melting together there? Um, I think the one I've mostly seen um, recently is just the fact that there, there's a saying um, it's called, uh, the, the saying is, uh, the jack of all trades. Um, but then the mm, tagline yeah. to that is the jack of all trades, master of none. And what I find is that, you know, 
people that have kind of, if you start getting into it these days, you end up realizing that, okay, I got to be an engineer. I got to be a mixer. I got to be a producer. Um, I got to be a songwriter. I got to be a beat writer and I've got to master all this. So you're focused on so many different things. You're not honing in one skill and really learning that skill and mastering that skill. So a lot, oftentimes somebody who's engineering knows, you know, a few microphones, they know a couple microphone placements, but do they really know all of, of like the intricacies of engineering? You know, can they, do they really understand all the different types of, of, um, you know, mic placements? Do they understand that using one mic as opposed to another will actually be beneficial Mm. because they haven't had enough um, experience diving into that world because they just need to get a mic up and record something and then they have to move into the mixing side or the producing and they haven't really focused enough. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think that, that to me, that's the biggest like downside that I, I see as far as like wearing all the hats at one time. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it for me is the, at, at least has to do with like getting to know your like how to do it, as you're saying, and also getting to know, limiting your tools. So you only have, like really get to know the tools. If you only have a, like one microphone or like one effect compressor or something like that, you really get to know the ins and out of it and really Absolutely. get to know how it works. Yeah. Uh, and like the the opposite side of it is having unlimited microphones or unlimited tools. And you're just like, oh, I can use this and I can use that. But you never really like really dive into it. Absolutely. What do you think are like, what are the positive sides of, of it? I can see like it's going faster when all the roles are together and you have one person as being the main driver behind an artist. Um, mm-hmm. um, I mean, as far as like the positives, like for me at this point, like the positive is I, I it allows me to be more um, accessible. So I'm I'm not just... If somebody calls me up and says, hey, can you know, I need a mix, I'm able to actually do that mix. Um, and I don't have to outsource it because I have that skill set. You know, I can do the same with engineering. I can do the same with with producing. Um, the one thing I don't do is mastering. I've never yeah. wanted to learn it or, or, or touch it. <laughs> so I, I always send that out. Mastering freaks me out, to be honest with you. Um, but it, as far as like, like <laughs> why is that? It really, it, it does because I, like it's only it's only two channels. Like, what do I do with this? I, I don't. I, I'm yeah. scared. I'm literally <laughs> scared of mastering because it's just two channels. And I have no idea what to do with it. Yeah, um, it's too limited. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What do I do? It's already there. <laughs> um, but as far as like the pros, yeah, I th- I think that's you know, you you kind of you're able to to do everything, which I think is great. You know, I, so it works in, in, you know, to your benefit too, when you're able to do mm. everything. Whereas yeah. maybe 20 years ago, if somebody called me up to produce, I'd be like, ah, I don't, you know, you, you might need to go to this person because they have, they're better at that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. when you are learning it all at once, you're able to do everything. And I think, I think in a lot of ways that's, that can be good. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. And for you, like personally, what's, what's the best part about your job? I mean, there's so many great things about my job. <laughs> yeah, um, I know. It's a hard question. <laughs> I mean, that that's the thing. It's like typically, I mean, I'm always in the studio with people that I enjoy being around. So we're all creative mm. types. So we all have, we're all focused on the creation of music, which is 
I'm mm. very passionate about. And so when I get in the room with other people that share that same passion, you know, only good things can come of that. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I, the traveling, um, not so much anymore, but I've done so much traveling and I've experienced a lot of different uh, cultures, or, you know, all over the world and working with different people from different cultures. And so it's made me a better person. That's great. That's a great answer. <laughs> yeah, but and 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 as there is a, like a a best part of your job, is there any like a, a, this best parts or, or worst parts about your job? If you had to mention anything, yeah. I mean, of course, there's sometimes you know you you spend a week you know recording and editing and in in working on something, and then you realize after that that you got to redo it because it just wasn't the right performance. Mm. You know, yeah. that can sometimes be a drag because you put so much into it and then it's like, ah, now I got to redo it. Um, yeah. It doesn't happen very often, but it does. And, and, you know, sometimes the hours can get a little, you know, <laughs> when you're, when you're pulling six day weeks at 12 to 15 hours a day, that can be a little bit yeah. of a grind. Yeah. Um, I try not to do those hours anymore, but sometimes it happens. Um, but I mean, but, but again, those are so far and few between that it's like, the benefits of everything else that I get out of doing this type of work out completely outweigh those things. Cause those come and pass, you know, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you wouldn't be, have been doing it for so long if it, if it was the other way around. Right. So exactly, exactly. And, yeah. and I, I like to think of this as the kind of work that it's, it, it's a job, but it doesn't feel like a job because yeah. it's just, it, it's always fun. Like I'm always <laughs> in the room with fun people. We're always laughing and th that's why we do it. You know, nobody wants to be doing this, making it feel like you're sitting in a cubicle somewhere, you no, know, no, no. doing reports, you know? Yeah. So yeah. that's why we do it. Of course. And yeah, it is all it is also like a a like a, a tough industry to get into, like to make a living off. A lot of people are trying to do it. Um, yes. so I think what drives everyone is like the fact that it's a job, but it doesn't feel like a job thing kind of thing. Exactly. Uh, exactly. That, that makes people people want it, um, especially us people that love music. <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> That's great. Cool. And like when you're working on, on music and songs, and what's the most important part or most important job for a song uh, for you? Like, like what's the purpose of a good song to you? Um, the If you want to go to purpose, it has to speak to... To people. So, you know, I mean, and that, that's kind of a loaded thing too, because oftentimes an artist, you know, you, whatever they have to say from inside of them, if nobody relates to it, you know, at least that artist is still expressing what they want to express. Hmm. But the goal, I think, by and large is to actually connect with people by saying what you're saying, be relatable. So, I, for me, the most important part of a song is always going to be lyrics and melody. Like, does it speak to people? You know, are you saying, are you saying what you want to say in a way that actually connects? Mm. And that, that to me is like, you know, I could drum parts are one thing, guitar parts are a cool bass line or, you know, all that. But in the end, it's always the vocal. Always. It's a little harder to connect with like drum parts and guitar parts. It's not like, it's not impossible, but, but like the vocal is so near to us as humans right um absolutely i mean you know yeah, there, yeah. there's like if you go back through music there's there's those iconic moments of a, of an instrument like the drum fill and um that phil collins song you know um, in the air yeah. tonight it's like ta -ta, ta -ta, ta -ta. everybody in the world knows that 
one drum hook. Everybody, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't happen very often. You know, maybe once in a musical generation, you have like a musical piece that people are like, oh, I can connect to that because it's cool mm. or whatever. But yeah, it's always, it's always the vocal. And like, it's so easy to like sing along to a vocal. It's a little bit harder to like sing along to drums and guitars. So, so it's a natural <laughs> exactly. thing for us. Yeah, yeah. It's a natural thing for us to like, I can hook onto that and I can understand what's happening, even though I'm not maybe too musical i can just sing along yeah and it doesn't i doesn't care if i, I hit the notes <laughs> absolutely yeah. absolutely and, and you know the uh, kind of going off that an interesting thing is um especially here i don't know over, over the world but i know here in in um in america and especially like southern california where where, where i'm at yeah um we get a lot of um a lot of what's going on in our radio right now, especially on the pop side, there's a lot of Spanish songs that are being played on American pop radio that play normally English songs, but they're playing a lot of Spanish. Yeah. And the one thing I find is even though people like like my wife might be sitting there listening to a song in Spanish, she'll feel and understand what the singer is saying mm. without understanding the lyrics. And it's because that singer is emoting what he wants to say or she in a way that like I get it like I feel what you're saying even though you're not you even though I can't understand those lyrics I still feel yeah. it. and I think that's yeah. very powerful yeah that's actually very interesting like how like the translation of just words or sounds from the mouth can get someone to relate even though they don't understand I think yep. that's pretty yep. interesting yeah I, don't and know I mean why, and why that is I, I don't I don't know either. I think maybe it's just the power of the melody, you know. And, yeah. and through the through the years, I've I've worked with a lot of um, artists out of Mexico and Spain, and I speak a little Spanish, but not a lot. <laughs> and a lot of it gets lost in translation. <laughs> yeah. But if it's the if it's the right melody, I'll feel. You know, I'll sit in there recording it, and I'll feel what they're what they're saying without even knowing the uh, the true translation of the lyrics. I still feel it. Yeah. So yeah, the the melody. That's super powerful. Like when you're producing, what do you do? You do anything special to like try to really capture this? Because it's it's a hard thing. Like we're talking about it as it's a fairly normal thing, but but having a vocal that connects with the listeners is really hard to to achieve. Is there anything you're doing to to try to get there? Yeah, it's, you know, oddly enough, I picked this up uh, as an engineer uh, working mm. with a certain producer here in San Diego. Um, and oddly enough, it was, a, it was a Latin producer. And he had a very good way of speaking with the artist and making the artist feel um, comfortable. And I found that over the years, and this is something, you know, that I, like I said, I picked up and I've been working on it myself, is the voice you know it's it's an instrument right yeah but oftentimes it's a voice it, it, it's an instrument that doesn't um that has its own um sometimes does its own thing so you may want it to do a certain thing but it's not like a guitar where it's like you put your finger here and it's going to be that note all the time yeah exactly yeah so what what his his approach was and what i've adopted as my approach is you know making that artist feel comfortable and no matter what comes out of their mouth and the first, like the first bar, you have to make that artist feel that that was like an amazing take. No matter what it sounded like, I still make them feel like, I was like I'll, hit, I'll hit the button and be like, oh, that was awesome. It was amazing. 
let's grab it again. You know, let's continue this line. And I think that by using that approach, that really helps build the confidence. Mm. And when that confidence comes out, it makes them connect more with themselves. And then they can kind of let go of the technical aspects of, am I on time? Am I on pitch? How's my tone? And then they could just start to feel it because they already know that, that I'm giving them the feedback that, yeah, your, your timing is great. Your pitch is great. Now let's get into the feeling. And I think that's what a producer really needs to do when it comes to vocals is really trying to help draw that out and, and being able to disconnect from the technical side and just, you know, feel the emotion. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And as you're saying, like the voice is actually an instrument that's attached to your entire body. So if you are cold or if you are like, like I've, um, if you eat chocolate before you go sing, you have like this flam build up in your, yeah, it, yep. can, it can really yep. like mess up an entire session if you <laughs> eat chocolate before yep. it. Um, chocolate, milk, anything like that. Yeah. 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 So, so, so that's really like, it's, it's a tough one to record and a guitar, you can pick it up, you can tune it. And if it's not too, too warm or too cold in the room, it'll stay the yep. same. Um, yep. But yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's really cool. Like, getting the artist to feel comfortable because that's also the, the personal aspect of it. Like when an artist writes a song, it's often, as you mentioned before, it's often very close to the heart or something they want to express. Uh, so uh, they are rooted in, in the artist's emotions and, and personal experience. So that's also something you have to manage, right? And uh, yeah, absolutely. have to, to, to juggle that. Is there like, how do you, how do you go about it other than making them feel like, welcome and, and nice in the studio and feeling like you are the technical expert they need? I mean, it's, I think it's just, it's like very rarely do I go into a vocal session without getting to know the, the, the person, right? So by the time we get to vocals, we've, even if they're only the singer in the band and they don't play any of the other instruments, I've still gotten to know them over the, however many weeks or months until we get to that point. Right. Mm. So by the time we get into a vocal session, I've gotten to know them enough to know how to navigate around their personality. Mm. Um, and if if I find that maybe they're, you know, lack a little confidence, I'll go into it knowing that I need to be a little bit more of a confidence booster for them. Um, and it's just, again, it's like psychology. A lot of producing is psychology. It's understanding the human um, the human emotion and understanding, you know, how to, you know, cause everybody in a band is going to be different too. Like the guitarist might be the most egotistical maniac in the planet. <laughs> and yeah. I have to navigate around trying to bring that ego down to a place of like, okay, this is what we need to do <laughs> where the singer might be the complete opposite. And so it's getting to know how to navigate around the personalities. And I also too, um, if there's a lot of people in the band, say there's it's a typical rock band and there's like four or five people in a band and the singer is just the singer um i'll have everybody leave the studio like for especially for the maybe the first song i'll let make everybody leave nobody's in the control room except me and the artist Interesting. and so that when the artist is standing in the room they're not looking through a piece of glass seeing my face and then three or four other people who they know are all going to be judging them mm. right and that's very intimidating because, you know, the vocal is like, you know, it's going to be right here in the room 
And if you're singing something and you look up into the glass and you see the drummer <laughs> and the guitarist and they laugh, they might be yeah. talking about a joke. But if they laugh, you're going you're gonna to start all of a sudden, are they laughing at me? Did I make a wrong note? Did I make a mistake? And, and then it's going to take them completely out of the vibe. And then before you know it, they're just they're in the tank because of something silly that happened over here. So I'll have everybody leave just so that I can have that room with just me and the singer. That's cool. How does a band react to that? Are they always like, okay, we, we get it, let's leave? Or um, are they like... No, I mean, it, I've had all sorts of reactions. I've had people telling me to, you know, fuck, fuck off, I'm going to stay in the room. <laughs> and I've... Uh, sorry, can I... Sorry, sidebar. Yeah, can yeah. I, can you, I cuss? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay. I forgot to ask you in the beginning. <laughs> no worries. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, some people will be very respectful of that and be like, yeah, totally get it, understand. Um, and others will push back a little bit. But at the end of the day, they came to me and they hired me for a reason. And so they might, even if they push back, they're still going to give me the room. I'm still going to get that because they know that I'm doing what's best for them and the band. And it's not like I'm telling them they can't come back in and have any input. It's like, let me just do what I do. Let me get this, the, the tracks and, um, and then we'll, you know, discuss things later. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Do you also like, we know that like the vocal is the main part for you. Do you also do this kind of treatment with the other instrument groups or is that, does that absolutely proceed? Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. It's, it's not just, I don't just cater to the vocalist. It's like, course, I cater, no. I do that with, with everybody. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And like, what happens when we talked about this connection that you need to have? That's the most important part of a song. What happens when this connection is is not really there in a song? It's it, not like something you produced or anything. Like if you're listening to a song, what happens to you if, if the connection is not there? Do you just discard the song or can you look for, for other elements or what happens there? I mean, are, are you talking about a song that I've personally worked on? Or are you talking about no, a song no, no. that like I just, just hear randomly? Just, yeah, just generally. Like... I mean, I, you know, it's, it's funny because uh, when I listen to a song, I'm listening to a song, you know, in, for all aspects. So sometimes I'll listen to a song and I'll hear the production is like, ah, I, I don't like the drums. I don't like the way the drums sound. But if I'm connecting to a different part of the song or like what the vocalist is saying, I'll still be able to listen to the song. The vice versa is true. Sometimes a singer is singing about something completely silly that yeah. I have no care in the world about but I might really like the drum groove, you know, or I'll like listen to the guitar part and go, Oh, that's that, you know, that, that riff is awesome. And I'll connect to that. And then I won't even hear the vocals. The vocals would just be like this part over here that I'm not even listening to. Yeah. So. Yeah. You have really cool. I, yeah. I have it the same way. Like, and I think that's sort of a like work damage or what you could call it. I, I've been mixing and, and I can listen to a song that I, the production and all, like the song in general, I really don't like. I don't like how it sounds, but I can really appreciate a good mix. So I listen to the song for the mix and that sounds super weird when I'm actually also listening to the music. But but like you can hone in on different things and find different things and, and like exclude the other things from your what you're listening to. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, that's important. Exactly. And yep. that's an important attitude to have working in the industry because... Like you can find gems hidden in all this kind of <laughs> yeah. stuff that you don't connect with. <laughs> yep, yep. And, and you know, uh, funny thing too is that the more 
I've done this over the years. I've um, kind of gone off of what you said. I can go in and listen to the smallest, tiniest little thing in a mix. And like, I'll go, I'll like, oh, that hi-hat. I can totally, and, my, and I'll, funny thing is I'll tell my wife and she'll be like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I just hear a voice and then music. That's all I hear. Like, you know, yeah, so it's yeah. like everything to her is just this, you know, this, this thing of music, but because people like you and me, we've, we've gotten so accustomed to like picking things out. It's like, we can hear the yeah. tiniest little things. Yeah. Yeah. That's really funny. Very funny. Uh, like, yeah. It's hard to explain to other people, but uh, it is. But it we're, is. We're, we're trying at least. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It helps with a lot of excitement when you come present the high hat of the century. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Awesome, Joe. So, so you've been around for some time. You have uh, many years of experience working in studios and and all the like in different categories and all that kind of stuff and i would love to dive into like some of the stories from your career like a look behind the curtain if, if you will sure um, sure could you could you tell me about a time when you had like a sort of a challenging experience in the studio um yeah so um this is going back to the early 2000s and it was um funny that this <laughs> This is always in my mind. This story is always in my mind. Like it, it never <laughs> leaves, never leaves because it's still like one of those moments. It may be career defining moment. Yeah. Um, but it was the first record that I did in Spain and the band had just signed to uh, Warner Spain and um, they flew me over. Like, I, I mean, I felt like, I felt like a king, like royalty, like I'm, I'm, get flown over. I'm getting put up in this, this rad, you know, like studio house. It was like, the studio was amazing. It was this gigantic yeah. mansion on a hill. It was, it was awesome. But the, the studio itself was like, it was okay. It, I was used to being in these big rooms and big studios and all these mics and the studio was, it was okay. Mm. And the drum room was really, really tiny, like really small. And they had actually uh, flown me over. They, they had heard the, the Blink-182 album and they're just like, oh, we love the drums. We love this. And, you know, it was like, you know, a lot of pressure. And then I walk into this room and I'm just like, how am I going to do this? And so first day we go into the studio to set up and I push, started pushing faders up and the drums sounded terrible. They sounded like shit. It was just like <laughs> the kick drum was sound like a basketball stadium. The snare was just no nothing. And every mic I pulled up just sounded worse. And, and it was like, it, it was terrible. It's a nightmare. So day, it, nightmare. Day two the same thing. Like I struggled all the way through day two of like literally not being able to make the drums sound good. By day three, <laughs> the band was starting to visibly look upset with me. Like they're just looking at me going, <laughs> we flew this guy all the way over from, from Southern California. Who's worked with blink. We're supposed to have these awesome sounds and it sounds like it's just terrible. <laughs> so that third night I went back to my room and I, I literally, I packed my bags and I had a car, the, the company that we used for the car service, I was going to call them, take me to the airport and I was going to fly home, not tell anybody, just, I was just going to disappear, right? Because I, I like, I didn't know what else to do. I was failing. Yeah. And I like sat up in my room and I was like, I, I can't do that. I talked myself out of it. I was like, I, I can't, I can't walk away. That's, that's, this is going to follow me forever, right? So... I sat there and, and I came up with this idea. 
And the next morning I went downstairs to breakfast and I looked at the van. I'm like, okay, I got it. I know what we're going to do. We're going to switch things up. And they got all excited. So we went into the studio and I said, you're going to take the drums and I want you to put the drums out into the lounge. And the, mm. the band is looking at me like, what? And, and the assistant's going, what? What do you mean out there? <laughs> I was like, I took him into the lounge and I'm like, look at this room. And I, I swear to you, it was like three stories tall. And it was this gigantic wood room with this big rock face fire fireplace, this rock wall fireplace. It was beautiful. And I was like, set up right here. We're going to put the mics here. I'm going to put room mics out here. It's going to be amazing. And we did it. And the drums sounded so good. Like oh. everything just worked out. Yeah. And it was like in that moment, like that was like such a challenging thing because like, it took me four days to get drum sounds. But it was worth it because we got amazing drum sounds. But at the same time, it, it was like, I mean, I was ready to go home. I was ready to literally just <laughs> leave the country without saying anything and just go because yeah. I, didn't, I, I didn't know what to do. That's insane. That's insane. And like having three days of trying to get a drum sound and having a band look. Oh yeah. Like oh, on your like look at your back because that's like that's something you don't you don't get that feeling unless you tried it. Uh, trying to set up, trying to do something, and it's not working out, and you have four people looking or five people looking at yeah. you and 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 wondering what the hell is going on. Yes. Like. Yes, that's so stressful, and I can't even imagine being in that for three days. I can, I can, like, I can feel that you, I can feel your, that you were about to take home, take off. Oh yeah, I mean, I was like, it, like by the third day, I, I was, I was embarrassed, you know, and yeah. I felt, I like, I would, they would, I could just see them behind me, you know, I'm like trying to struggling, I'm tweaking knobs and moving faders, doing all this stuff, and I could just feel them behind me, just looking at me, shaking their head, just going, what. The like who is this like what is this like ah you know because it, it cost them a lot of money to get me over there of course and yeah. it, you know they just burned three days in the studio that cost them money in the studio and you know mm. it, it's like so much pressure which most a lot of people don't understand the pressure that that you're under when you're completely the one person in control of that part of a record it's like everything is on is on you at that moment yeah like they, everything they, they, they they probably don't have like they have the budget from the label to hire one guy to do the one album that's going to like get their career moving e forward exactly this is their first record this is the record they're making their statement with and yeah. they're entrusting me with it and i'm failing you know and and it's like yeah that was uh that was the <laughs> worst three days. I, I can't I can't imagine. I don't think there's another three days I could go back through my entire like 25 years and say that those three days, there was any worse three days than that. Like that was no. it. But yeah, you, you've learned from it and you have. Absolutely. Just, yeah. And, and you've never thought about taking off from a project again, I'm guessing. Nope. That was, that was the, <laughs> the one and only time. Like after that, it's yeah. like, you know, and pulling, pulling that out, I was like, I can do anything now. Like I can yeah, walk yeah, exactly. in any studio in the world and I've, I've got it. Like I can do this. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And how, how did the band like the album when you got, got it out? Oh, the, they loved it. Right. So they, they loved it. And then the label when um, I ended up doing mixes in this, um, in a different studio and just outside of Madrid and, uh, you know, the, all the label executives, they're all in Madrid. So they came out to the studio and they sat down, they listened to the mixes and they were floored. They were just like, this is, this is awesome. 
Nice. That was in yeah. January of 02. And by April of 03, the same label had me in London mixing a record for one of their biggest rock bands. Man, so you it's it. like, you I, yeah, it. I nailed it. So it was like, that was a testament to like, and, and I think about that, like had I left, had I walked yeah. away from that record, I don't think I would have had a career in Spain like I did. Like, no, I, it would have never, it, that, that would have, it would have never, never even happened because of that, you know, leaving. So the fact that I stayed and pulled it through started my career there. Wow. That's so amazing. And, and especially like, the music industry, a lot of people talk. So, so like, if you're leaving there, they'll probably talk to some other labels oh, yeah, saying, okay, yeah, yeah. Joe's a Lieber. You don't yeah. hire him. It would have been oh, blackballed man. completely. Yeah. That's, it would have just, but, yeah. I would have never, that would have been it. That's really a career defining moment. That's awesome. It is. Like, and and from, for everybody, like, thisness, pull through, don't, don't leave. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's like the, the title engineer is like, you know, we, we in the audio world, we use this this term like, oh, we're engineers. And when the real engineers are actually out there building buildings, you know, they're designing <laughs> yeah. bridges, they're they're doing real world shit. But the idea, like the name engineers, you you you're you need to know how to get around problems. That's what an mm -hmm. engineer does, is you have to solve problems. And you you, you know, if this mic doesn't sound good, you get another mic. If it doesn't get to the audio source you need to figure out is it the mic the mic cable a patch bay is it the you know the compressor is it the, the mic pre there's something you that's your job and and so in that like i realized like okay the drum room wasn't working maybe it worked for the last however many drummers for this drummer this drum set for me it wasn't working what do i do how do i change it oh yeah. i'm gonna take the drums and put them in the lounge and and that 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 changed the whole thing that's so great. Awesome. That's a great story. Yeah. Like, and, and from the fear of every engineer, like, do you have some great or interesting experience from the studio? Like something memorable in the good way? <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's, there's always like, you know, I, I think, um, for me, so uh, I'm going to, I'm going to do a little name dropping here. Yeah, um, go ahead. Okay. I, I don't know if that's okay, but I'm, I'm going to do oh, it anyway. It's, it's totally okay. <laughs> like you work with so many of my favorite bands. So, so get, get name dropping already. Okay, please. here we go. <laughs> so um, Nirvana for me was like a very defining point in my life. I just graduated high school. I was, you know, didn't know what to do with my life. I was, you know, angry, blah, you know, Nirvana mm. like captured a lot of my emotions, right? Then moving forward and, and then playing drums, like I looked up to Dave Grohl. Like to me, Dave Grohl was like, I just, you know, I love the way he played. And it was like, you know. So the day I found out that I was going to be in the studio with the Foo Fighters was, it was just like, how is this even possible? Like what, what planet am I on? Am I, is this really <laughs> real? Is it like, you know, how, blah, you know? Yeah. And the very first day that we were scheduled to to be in the studio, I was nervous. Like I was a complete wreck. Of course. <laughs> and I remember walking into the studio, into the control room, and I was like, I walked in and there's Dave and he's standing there. <laughs> and it's like this 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 
you know, rock star idol guy that I just looked up to is like, you know, oh my God, it's, it's Dave Grohl. And he walks up to me, shook my hand and he's like, you're Joe, right? And in that moment, just the fact that, that he approached me in such a, a, a like a normal, casual human way, mm. That set the tone for like the rest of of my time in the studio with him because he he became he was still Dave Grohl, but he was a human and he became like a peer. There was no like hierarchy. It wasn't like he's the rock star and I'm the the lowly. I'm the, the engineer and I'm you know. It was like you know we're just we're just two dudes in a studio and we're gonna make some <laughs> yeah. music yeah and one and, of them happened to play in nirvana yeah <laughs> yeah ex exactly i mean that's the thing so it's it's like you know it, it kind of for me it it helped set like for the rest of the, all the other artists that i've worked with it kind of helps realize that you know no matter who they are they're still they're still people they're still humans they still have you know regular human emotions and And most people just want to connect and, you know, just be on the level with people. And it, it, it was like, you know, had nothing to do with the music part. It had nothing to do with, with the technical aspect of mixing or engineering or anything. Or it was more of just like standing in a studio and connecting with another human that just happened to be one of my mm. rock idols. And it was such, it was such like a good feeling to just have that moment. And that that's one of the moments that stands out. I mean, there's so many moments I had in the studio with, with him and, and the, the foos and everything, but that one moment was just like that, that takes the cake for all of it. Like right there, yeah, just yeah. walks up. Hey Joe, I'm Dave. I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. He, he probably pulled like the trick you do on vocalists, like getting them to feel um, like welcome yeah. and, and nice and down to earth and getting like setting the whole scene for the rest of the record like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. He, that's, <laughs> that's what he did. He flipped the script on me. That's what he did. Yeah, yeah. All these years I did. And that's what he did. <laughs> That's great. He reverse so psychology. For, reverse psychology. <laughs> He's a sneaky one. But yeah, you yeah. work with the Foo Fighters on on an album, right? Um, um yeah, yeah. And, and one one like, by one. Yeah, and we talked about that. You called it the the million, the million dollar, dollar demo. demo. Yep. Could you go into that a little bit? What what happened? Sure. Yeah. So um, basically, you know, the they had recorded the entire album. Um, in in the studio with the with the producer and then um things kind of fell apart i don't want to get into that but things kind of fell apart with uh, certain people and they ended up having to scrap that entire record and re-record the entire thing over again so all the time and money that was spent on the first the first version um which where the million dollar demo comes from um, yeah. didn't make the record only only one of the songs made it on the record that i worked yeah. on yeah That's that's rough, but yeah, that's it is like it's the, but it happens. Like it happens, yeah, and especially like yeah, it just sucks. It really just sucks. It does. But I know you also um, you worked with Seal as well. I um, did. We talked about that, and um, where you also like had sort of the same experience or something like it with a, a like the best record you ever <laughs> listened to, or. What should I say? And and it also never got released. Yeah. So um, unfortunately, that one, um, you know, whew, that one, 
basically I'll start at the end of that one. Basically it got pulled. Um, the, the record label switched, you know, management and, um, the new guy that came in, listened to all the records that were supposed to be released. And that one apparently didn't fit his, his idea of what steel should be releasing. And so he never released it. They, yeah. they shelved it. The label, uh, you know, shelved it. But in the mixing stage, um, a, a, a very brilliant uh, mixing engineer named Steve Fitzmorris, he mixed it. And I do remember Seal coming in um, one of the days to listen to the mix. And um, he sat there and welled up with tears with emotion like like wow. the song moved him so much while listening to the mix and listening how the mix affected him that he was listening to his own song back that he you know got very emotional and it was it was very inspiring to watch to watch that and realize like the power that a mixer has in yeah. bringing out subtleties in a song that you know an artist may not yeah, because um, it, it was his song. He played it, it yeah, and he, yeah. he, he sung it. And then he hears it back and he yes. tears up. And, That's and he tears up because, because the, yeah. the, the way, which I've actually adopted a lot of the the um, the mixing style that, that um, Steve has hmm. and just what he what he did. I, I He did a lot of things. He took a lot of um, liberty while mixing with production actually and arrangement and doing things and moving things around in a song that I would have never thought of as a mixer. I didn't know that mixers could take that kind of liberty and, and watching him do that. I was like, Oh, I, wow. Uh, that's, that's cool. I'm, I'm going to start doing that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that watching seal, you know, f feel that emotion. And, you know, a lot of it is just that the songs were just, they were really good. Like, I think that they were, some of uh, some of his most brilliant work, I think, you know, and I, I I know that those those songs would stand the test of time. Today, they would if they if he released that record today, it would still be relevant. Like hmm. the, the the production and just the the vibe of the songs could definitely be released today and have no problem. That's probably going to be like a sort of a a hidden album at some point. Hopefully, I I hope so. I, I know yeah. that he. I think he's. I've read articles um about it and i've i've read statements that he's released about it and i think for him there's so much um just from his own words there's kind of so much like negativity surrounding mm. that that record that i think that he he doesn't feel like i think he just wants to put that away like it, it everything i've read that he's ever written or said about that record it's like he just doesn't want to talk about it because it just brings up too much stuff yeah. Which is too bad because I think it's, it's really a brilliant bad. record. Like when the art get gets caught in in people's different people's opinions and the politics about, of yeah, and yeah. like like the thing that we are like we I know we are in a music industry and there's like it is here to make some needs to make money right and but but it's so it's so sad to see when the art get cut up in in that um, and gets shut down because it doesn't really, maybe doesn't fit the the demographic they're trying to hit or maybe doesn't fit the, like, whatever it is. Uh, it's just really, really, really sad. Um, yep, yep. Yeah. But, um, yeah, hopefully we get to hear it at some point. I, I, hope, uh, I other, hope. Other than that, we'll have the, the teaser of a lifetime right there. Yeah, exactly, uh, exactly. <laughs> the there be, you go. The best Seal album we'll never hear. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool, Joe. But you also, like, we talked about Blink-182 and you talked about the defining moment when you met um, 
man, you met Dave Grohl. You could also imagine like working with Blink One Eighty Two is like was a really big moment. Um, I don't know when your career it was, uh, but it was earlier in your career, right? Yeah, it was very early. Um, yeah. You know, the, the the funny thing about working with Blink is. I worked on, so I worked on the live record with them that came out after Enema of the State. And then I worked on Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. So those two records. And it was obviously after their their big, their big release. Um, but at the time, I wasn't, that wasn't my, my genre of music that I listened to. So it was like, ah. you know what, I, I didn't... For me, it was it was definitely you know it was awesome being in there and it was a lot of fun. The guys, you know, the joking and and it was just it, it was exactly what you would think it would be yeah. like, right? But musically, it wasn't what I listened to, so it wasn't it wasn't I didn't have that same kind of thing like going in and in like being in the studio with Dave Grohl because I blink and that that kind of pop punk thing. I, I never that was not my thing, like what I listened to. Um, so it was like, it, it, it was, like I said, it was great, but it wasn't, it wasn't like that, you know, defining thing for me. It was just, you know, it was going in working with a good band that had a lot of fun. So <laughs> that sounds great. But yeah, that's also a really interesting point. Like when you're working with audio, you might not always love the audio you're working on. Correct. And you have to be able to like separate that because because it is a job you're doing and you can't do that job for multiple genres. You don't have to like, okay, I'm I'm a country guy. I only uh, work on country. You can be like that, and a lot of people specialize in that. But but like sometimes you need to to step away. And you can even have a song like a country song you like love country, but this song <laughs> you you're not really connecting yep. with as we talked before. But it's still a great song uh, for some, and you have to to work on. How do you like? How do you manage that? Um, especially with like bigger bands as Blink. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it, at the end of the day, you know, drums are drums, guitars are guitars, you know, bass, vocals, wh whatever instrument, it's it's all instruments, right? So maybe it's not something that I'm, that I would, you know, go home and listen to at the end of the day, but I'm still going to make it sound as best as humanly possible to the best of my ability and give them you know, everything that I would do for a band that I would listen to even outside of, of, of being in the studio with them. And, you know, cause that's, that's at the end of the day, that's the job. Right. And it's, it's, it's music. So, <laughs> um, is, yeah. I, I mean, over the years, man, there's been very, very, very few times that I can recount that I've just absolutely not liked the music. And, um, you know, I think that happened more in the early time of my career where it's like, you know, you kind of got to take whatever you, whatever comes to you, you know, so that, but you know, like the last 15, 20 years, not, doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's great. <laughs> that's uh, yeah, long, it is. <laughs> long, it is. long, long periods of time between those. Yeah. Cool. And like, as you're mixing and, and as you're mixing, uh, how can I phrase this? Like, as you're mixing an artist, I, I know a lot of, we know that artists have like their personal sound and and mixing is also sort of an artistic aspect. And a lot of people are talking about mixers having their own sound. What's your take on that? Do you think you have your own sound as a mixing engineer or? Um, I'd say yes and no, right? Yeah. It, it's It's like... I have a style of mixing that 
I don't know. I mean, I don't even know how to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, I, well, I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's like I know what I like and I know what I want it to sound like, but I'm not going to make every single song sound the same through from band to band. I'm not going to take this band and try to make this band sound like the same as this band and this band sound the same as this band. Stylistically, mm-hmm. I I know how I like to make um, my drum sound, but I don't want to make my drum sound you know, f- six records in a row and have the same drum sound. Right. <laughs> no, no. And, and yeah. there are, there are, there are mixers, you know, that, that kind of do that. They have their, their samples that they'll throw in on the drums and it's the same sample across every record. So you listen to it, go, Oh yeah, that's that. Yeah. I could hear that. Yeah. And they all sound the same, you know? Um, I do try to, to keep the, the integrity of what the band sounds like as their own. And, bring in my mixing style, um, you know, so that I guess when people come to me to mix, they know, generally know how I'm going to approach a mix. So, you know, it's. Yeah. I, yeah. I guess that's like part of, of you being hired and like you being flown out to a, to a, another country to, to mix a song is that they listen to your stuff and they like what they hear and, and they see, okay, Joe got the nice drums. Let's hire him in to get the, yeah. the good drum exactly. sounds. Exactly. Uh, exactly. That's great, cool. And like for anyone starting out wanting to to get into to the music industry, that's mixing or producing or songwriting. Like, what would be your advice? What what would like be your advice to yourself, eighteen uh, eighteen year old self, if you have anything? <laughs> um, I sh- I mean, it's it's literally it's it's gonna sound very cliche and stock, but it's like you just got to put the work in. You yeah. know, it's, it, it's literally, that's, that's what it is. It's, you know, you could, you could sit in, in, in your studio and hammer out day after day after day after day after day and develop your skill. But the other half of that is, you know, that's that part of the work. The other half of it is you have to know how to get out there and, and, and network with people and, mm, you know, yeah. get in with the right people. Um, I still think that, for engineers, I still think that going to a studio in whatever town you live in or, or even moving to another town that has the studio that you can get into, I think being in studios is, is paramount, you know, yeah. because like, if you like don't getting a, getting a early job in a studio. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I did it the old school way. Cause that's the only way to do it back then. But it was like, I started out as, you know, the cable guy, you know, I go in after a session was done and wrap cables and get people coffee, you know, as, as the intern and then, you know, assisting and, and then engineering. And it's like, you get in that way, you start meeting people, you learn yeah. way more because you're watching people that know what they're doing and you're able to soak up what they do and, and add that to your repertoire of, of like knowledge. Um, and, and it's just, a, it's the more people, you know, in the business, in the industry that you're wanting to break into the, the, um, the easier it's going to be, you yeah, know? Yeah. So it's, it's like, you know, if, if your world consists of you and, and your group of friends that know no one else, and you're just sitting there, you know, in your circle of six, how are you ever going to get anywhere with just the circle of six? And and I know that yeah. social media these days is like, that's the, the Holy grail, but there's so much noise on the, on social media that you can't, it's hard to just break out of that. It's, it's so just knowing people is, is really where it comes from. 
I really think, yeah, that's a great, like, great advice. And I think like, getting a in an early job, even just as like delivering coffee or doing cables, is a really quick way to to get going. And as you're saying, get into the studio and and then moving on to assist and getting to work on music that that this studio like uh, gets in and get mm-hmm. to work on a lot of different artists, like big ones, small ones, like you name it. Instead of like trying to, the other way could be like trying to do it the freelance way of trying to, I'm here, I have my studio, I'm going to try to get clients. Like then you have to work yourself up through through the ranks that way. Um, and again, you need the network. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you know, when, when you're you know, to your point, if you, I mean, these days it doesn't take much, right? You buy a computer, you buy a couple pieces of outboard gear and you set up a little, little room and now you got a studio, right? Exactly. But yeah, yeah. now what do you have to do? Now you're sitting there and you're trying to learn your skill and hone it and become better, but now you're out there trying to market. And so now yeah. you're sitting on, you're making your little reels and posting them to social media. So you're spending half of your day or most of your day working on your little video reels and, and trying to make yourself look like you know what's going on and you've got all this business, but you've got nobody in your studio. Yeah. yeah. So I and, and I'm I'm always like, you know, I've I've noticed through the years, I've noticed that mixing engineers and producers and in in yeah, recording engineers, the ones that aren't very active on their social media or may not have like tens of thousands of followers, they're the ones that are busy. And that's why yeah. they're not active on their social media. And then the ones that are always posting, the ones that are always like fronting this, oh, this, this, this. How do they have the time to do that when they're supposed, to, when they should be, you know, <laughs> in the studio mixing. working with an artist? <laughs> yeah. So it's it's like, you know, it's a it's kind of like a double edged sword. It's like mm. by doing it by going into a studio where, like you said, business is already there. People are coming in. You're gonna do way more than if you're trying to do it on your own as, as starting out. Because starting out, it's like, if you haven't worked on a name record, why, why is somebody going to come to your, to your studio? You know, exactly. it's like, then it's, it's definitely more business, business heavy at that point, right? Like trying exactly. to, to, to actually run a business. And then it happens that business happens to be an audio, which is a <laughs> hard industry. Right. Um, well, but that's, but that's, and that's what I'm saying. So where, you know, I started out like this whole thing by saying, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. So now you're, you're spending your time over here trying to advertise and you're not sitting in a room working on your skills as an engineer mm. or a mixer, you know? And, and that's where being in the studio, it, you know, getting in even in an intern or an assistant, you're just going to, you know, you're going to soak up so much more. You're going to learn so much more. And when you're ready, somebody's going to take notice of that and bring you along with them. And, mm. you know, that's, that's kind of what, it, that's, that's how I got up at, up to LA was the working on the blink record with, with the producer, um, Jerry Finn, he saw that in me and he helped me transition up to LA. Then that's how I got on the Foo Fighters and Queens of Stone Age and Seal is like through him because he saw that, that in me and he took me along with, with him on that ride. So that's um, so cool. It was awesome. Like. And you have to put the work in as the coffee. You have to be the best coffee boy in the world and have to be the best at, at winding up cables, right? To, Absolutely. To get to that point. Like, Absolutely. To like, like, I don't want to, I don't want to, like right now, I don't want to walk into a studio, pull a cable off the wall and pull it out and have it knot up. Like have yeah. half a dozen knots in it, right? 
Because yeah. I'm gonna look to that whoever round round those cables. I'm like, look, <laughs> you're not. Yeah. You can't. You can't do this. <laughs> yeah. You, you know. Come on. Come on. You're better than yeah. this. Come on. Yeah. It's so easy. Yeah. Exactly. That's so cool. And like, how how I, I'm guessing that the main part of your work as it is right now is coming through word of mouth uh like people knowing about you and hiring you and yes. not through through you advertising social media so, so that just brings the point across right and not to say that you can't do it the other way around of course that's a possibility but but definitely like it is possible to not be active <laughs> yeah on, no uh, I, I, it, it is it is i like i i struggle with it all the time because i'll i'll sit there and be like i should do more but I don't have the time. And then I go, well, wait a sec. Why don't I have the time? Oh yeah. It's because I'm actually in the studio working. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, it's you know, a good thing. It, it is, it is a total good thing. And then I'll say, well, I'll say to myself, oh, I should, I should film some of myself working. And I'm like, why am I doing that? I'm already working. I don't, I don't need to do that. And I'll just, <laughs> I'll put it away. Cause I don't, yeah. I realize like, I don't, I don't need that. And, and to your point again, the word of mouth, um, just uh, December, the beginning of December, I got a call from um, the studio that I work at in LA a lot. And, you know, the the manager's like, look, this, uh, I have an artist coming in. He had this big name producer on the record. She dropped out. Can you, can you, can you help us out? And yeah. I spoke to the artist and, you know, three weeks later I was in the studio and we have now in the last like month and a half, two months developed such a great relationship that like moving forward, like I'm this guy's guy now, like I'm, wow. I'm locked in and we're moving forward with all these other recording projects, mixing, producing like all the stuff just because that one thing. And that was word of mouth through the manager of a studio who I've gotten to be friends with. Yeah. That's amazing. It's so powerful. Like having someone say this guy is good try him out and and yeah. then you actually and you actually can fulfill what they're saying uh, well which is i mean often the case right <laughs> so exactly well that's the thing and think about it like if you think about it from her point of view she's putting her her ass on the line by recommending me right so yeah. she's got to know that you know i know what i'm doing because if if i get in there and i'm and i and i flop and I spent yeah. four days trying to get drum sounds again, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's going to look bad on her. So, you know, it's, again, it's the networking and really knowing what you're doing and, and, and just also being personable. I mean, you can't, you can't yeah. be a dick, you know, people don't no. want to be in the room with dicks. So it's like, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be a good hang and have fun with people. And, um, I, so I guess I'll add that. That'll be the addendum to the, um, yeah. be a good hang. to the, uh, the advice for for people coming up yes be a good hang have know how to have fun yeah that's that's i think that's a great advice for 18 years or 18 year olds like get a job be the coffee and yeah. be a good hang have fun that's like i can I mean, see why so many people are getting into this right it sounds great yeah it it does <laughs> but but i could also see how people want to bypass, especially I think the, and I'm not saying this as a slap down to the younger generation, <laughs> but there, there's this, this, I, I see this trend on social media that it's like, let's skip all the work and just get to the good part. You know what I mean? And in this, in this business, you can't skip the work. You have to put in the work. You, oftentimes you have to start at the bottom so that when you get to the top, you can appreciate it yeah, um, yeah. and, and understand like, all the steps that you had to take to get there and that you deserve to be there. 
Yeah, and it's also really about like having the patience and having the trust in in like what I'm putting in right now. Like I'm delivering coffee to this. This might not be my my dream job, uh, but I'm patient in, in what I'm doing here that it will bring me to working with Link 182, Foo Fighters, yep. whatever. Yep. Um, and yeah. Yeah, and it's a journey, and it's it's you probably had some great experience in the uh, being delivering coffee and coiling up cables as well uh, as you. Of course, like, yeah, of course. So, so, I mean, so it's it's just it's it, it it's part of the process um, that again makes you appreciate where you land. Like yeah. by doing that, I can appreciate, and I appreciate that job, which it also. I don't treat those people with disrespect, right? So when I exactly. go into a studio and I see the interns and runners, I have conversations with them. I treat them as as peers. I learn about them. I figure out, you know, hey, where'd you come from? How long have you been in LA? You know, what 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 got you into music? And help because, you know, I was there and I knew what it felt like to be, you know, the coffee guy, you know, and, yeah, exactly. and you know, so by by you know, being, by being just a regular human being and connecting with somebody, they look at me now as like, wow, this guy's cool. You know, he's, yeah, yeah. he's good. I'm going to go hang out with him. Hey, you know, I'll buy, I'll make sure that I'm buying them lunch and dinners when they're working on my session because, you know, I know that they're not making very much money and I want to help yeah. them out, you know, that, that yeah. type of thing. And that's that, just that, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a good thing that people will do. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just like great life advice, actually. <laughs> Be nice. <laughs> True story. True story. I mean, yeah, it transcends across across all, all boundaries. Yes. Yeah, just be yeah. a good human. Just be a good person. Be a good human. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome, Joe. Well, time is flying. It's been very great to have you on the podcast. Like awesome stories and like, yeah, great. Awesome. I only have Thank like you. one final question for you. Sure. Um, what is your favorite song at the moment? Like what's playing on repeat when you're not in the studio? Oh, man. Uh, oddly enough, I've been listening to this this record I've been working on um, with this artist Anand Soul. I've been listening to his stuff nonstop um, yeah. because we're we're going into um, vocals in a couple weeks. But aside from that, I actually um, just heard the new um, um, record by Quicksand, and I've oh. been listening to their record. And track three, I think it's called Colossus, is an amazing rad song it's got a really good uh guitar riff it's really heavy and i really dig awesome. it so that's probably that's what's on my on my uh, ipod right now <laughs> that's great i'm gonna link it uh, in the podcast here so people can can listen to that yeah yeah check it out i mean have you have you ever heard of quicksand do you know that band no 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 oh man they're from like the 90s they're like <sighs> been around for a long time but it's it's awesome it's a it's a great song i'm gonna listen to great it right record. after this that's great thanks joe it's been so awesome to have you here uh real pleasure I appreciate you. Thank you for uh, inviting me on. It was, it was great. Thank you for listening. Just one last thing. Are you tired of vague, imprecise and confusing wall of text revision notes from many clients or collaborators at a time and through multiple communication challenges all at once? Me and my co-founder, we made a solution to this. You can try it out for free by going to audome.com. That's A-U-D-O-M-E dot com. Link in the description.